This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. And with thanks to Monique for the last three hours of Out on the Patio and just recently some uh, wonderful uh, live to airs from Aldous Harding. we give you a reminder that she'll be back next week uh, between four and seven on a Wednesday and welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, the internet, uh, all of the interesting stuff that um, pulls us all together. I do love diving into music. I kind of feel like I've had a weird day if I haven't listened to music on my headphones. Um, sometimes I don't even know what it is, but that is it. So I'm pretty interested when someone tells us there's a better way to listen uh, and it's just for your own hearing. Uh, actually, I don't know if you know this, Joe, but I actually have a, a little bit of a hearing loss in my left ear, so it can be a little bit weird. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think I've got a little bit in my right ear, so maybe we balance each other out. Oh, right. That's good. Yeah. Um, so, like, stereo can sometimes be a bit, little bit weird, and you're like, oh, it sounds like a wicked guitar solo, but I'm only getting a bit of it, really. But someone's trying to um, fix that for us. Uh, Neura have actually come up with something uh, amazing to personalise the earphone experience uh, for each of us. And founder and CEO Carl Slater uh, will be joining us in just a few minutes. Uh, if you're creative in more than one way, um, one way is pretty good, but if you do lots of things, our other guests tonight uh, will be worth sticking around for. Uh, Australian producer, musician and photographer Taku uh, will talk through how he's using a collaborative file storage platform to deliver art projects across lots of countries and lots of time zones and lots of months and years. So sounds pretty big and hectic, um, but we'll hear a little bit more about that um, shortly too. Um, we're actually going to have a quick look at, um, you may remember, uh, during the uh, plebiscite um, uh, a few weeks back, um, there was a controversial text message uh, that went out in support of the yes vote. Um, we've had a bit of a chat with the people behind that, so um, we're going to have a, a think about that too and chat through some of the issues. But before we do go there, um, there's a bit of news that is happening around the world. Um, surprise, surprise, Joe. Um, do you have a Do you have a read time? Are you like at the doctor's surgery and like I'll have a look at Time Magazine or? This is this is like I feel like I'm in true confessions right now, but I'm yeah. a bit of a germphobe and I don't touch the magazines in the doctor's office. Right. Oh, what about when you're flying? Maybe do you pick up a copy or something? Um, no. No, not so no. much. They have this thing called Person of the Year. I'm familiar with Person of the Year. Aware of um, because remember when Person of the Year was all of us? Yeah. Uh, this year, um, the race is hotting up. Uh, last year, it was um, POTUS, um, and this year, uh, apparently, he's trying to muscle in on it again, but he wants them to want him. But there's some better options, I think. Um, one of the interesting selections uh, for Person of the Year is the Me Too hashtag and movement. So that pretty much makes all women Person of the Year. Pretty much, I would say so. Um, how do you feel about um, the, the technical definition for Person of the Year is the person who's had the most influence? Um, so I think out of that criteria, like yeah, it's a pretty absolutely. interesting selection. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll follow that one. Um, I, I think it'd probably be a better selection. I mean... Certainly you know, better than some of the other ones orange match. man. The orange man. Absolutely. Um, I, I do like the idea that um, it can be uh, uh, an online movement. I mean, I think one of the things that we have lost a little bit in, in social media in recent years is the whole we all have to change things or get together and do things. Um, you know, there were times when we were sort of helping reconnect countries that were sort of um, going through coups and we were sort of like, you know, changing the course of history and so forth. And we don't seem to talk about that as much or we maybe take it for granted, but I think Me Too was another good example that um, it's so easy to do. So I'm, I'm going to vote for it. <laughs> Um, another thing that uh, was um, really interesting to me, um, 
this can be scary for a lot of people, but I also think it is quite interesting. Google has built, um, or Google AI has built uh, its own AI that outperforms any other AI made by humans, which is a lot of, it sounds like a Scrabble um, game. But um, effectively, when you make uh, a piece of artificial intelligence, there's a process where you make a parent and a child, and the parent AI um, delegates tasks to the child AI. So it could be checking photos, or it could be uh, listening to a piece of music, or what have you. Um, and some of those they, they actually teach to um, learn and recognize patterns and, and so forth. So as part of the, um, um, the piece of software behind that, um, they are trained to look for patterns and, and create order out of things. And generally speaking, they just do that. But um, uh, in May of this year, uh, researchers at Google Brain announced that the creation of AutoML, uh, which is um, a piece of AI um, that generates its own AIs, had actually come up with a child that was learning uh, much faster than its parent and better than a lot of the other things that actually put together. I did actually come across this. I can see you pulling in breath there where someone said it's the beginning of the end and you know all the Terminator references come and stuff like that. The good thing about this is, um, I mean, there's two sides to this, obviously, and probably, you know, a big grey area in between. But um, a lot of this stuff can do the stuff that people are, uh, around the place are just doing that um, doesn't um, involve or isn't done particularly well um, or is very hard to do or costs a lot of money and time and effort to actually do. Um, so they're being used very well in things like um, uh, medical research, um, in um, redesigning how we travel, um, um, how we where we put stuff to pick it up, so logistics and so forth. So is, you're talking about things where there's a lot of human manual processing? Yeah, like yeah. somebody has to sit down and recognise patterns in data yeah. and go, I think we need to, you know, um, change the traffic like configuration on the, you know, the Western Ring Road or something like that. Right. Um, so there's lots of jobs out there that um, we're currently doing. Um, I mean, there is an ethical consideration there around they are jobs with kind of people behind them and, and um, we have to support that. Um, but it's an interesting conversation to have, I think an important one to have about can we be spending our time elsewhere doing other things and we often talk about the future yeah. of work and stuff on the show. Laura so and I have had big conversations on here about um, about the future of work. Mm. So that's an interesting one. But um, yeah, I, I, th I think we should keep an eye on this because it is the sort of the moment that people talk about and we've talked about sort of Ray Kurzweil and the singularity yeah. and, and sort of that tipping point and how soon it is. Um, it could have happened in May this year. So um, who knows? We'll have to keep an eye out for it. Um Another thing that's worth keeping an eye out for is there was a birthday recently. The SMS just turned 25. SMS. So it's old enough to come off of its mum's Medicare card now. Yeah, right. Um, the very first text was sent on December the 3rd, 1992 mm. on a gigantic brick of a phone called an Orbital 901. It's probably like, did you watch the latest X-Files? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually sent through Vodafone UK's GSM service. The message was mm. Merry Christmas, boringly yeah. enough. Yeah. So happy birthday to the text message. We're going to talk a little bit more about text messages uh, later in the show. But um, yeah, that's flown by, 25 years of text messages. Um, can you tell some of your favourites from your most frequently used um, emoji? In messages? Oh, look, it's always the upside down smiley, which I um, use in the same way as I use that this is fine image. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about you? What are your most frequently used emoji? Uh, I've got the swimmer in the moment. I've got the um, guy in the blue shirt looking up. Um, I've been using fried eggs. You've lot. sent me a lot of face palm recently. Yeah, it is in there. And shrugs and sort of infodesk person. 
a lot, a lot <laughs> of that kind of stuff and, and some peaches because um, I was hoping we we're going to be shaking our butts. Maybe we will later. Hopefully. Mm. Uh, if you are a bit of an audiophile, hopefully there's a few of you out there, um, you will love your earphones and uh, escaping somewhere, uh, wherever you are at the time. Uh, Neura have come up with a, a great new um, piece of kit called the Neurophone. Uh, which is, uh, I think, going to change uh, how we all experience music in our own way. And we're joined now in studio by CEO and founder, Kyle Slater. Kyle, thanks for coming in. Oh, great to be with you. Uh, so I guess we'll have a bit of a chance to chat about this um, uh, at length, but um, I guess it's a bit of a labour of love for you. Um, must be great to be walking around with these and putting it on people's heads and, and having a play with them and seeing them switch onto this. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been you know, a long journey for myself and for many of the other people who have been part of um, the company. Mm. We started the company back in 2015 with just an idea. It was a piece of paper and, you know, sitting around talking about what was possible. So it's, uh, it's a really amazing feeling for us to see people walking around with these and enjoying, um, I guess, what we've worked really hard on. Mm. That doesn't seem like too bad. Like, to sort of a couple of years is, is pretty good. Like, you guys must have really hit your targets and kind of got through stuff. And Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, it's about, yeah, for a, for a consumer product and one that uh, is, is mass market, it's actually a very quick time to, act, to develop something like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in the scheme of Kickstarter, we also uh, had to do everything very quickly. We had a lot of pre-orders early on to uh, bootstrap the company mm. and so the time was ticking. Mm. Uh, I think what we're going to try now here is a bit of a demo. Um, I'm kind of making eyes at Jo but I'm not sure if she could hear what I'm saying. No I can, I haven't, right. got, I haven't got them on yet. Okay. So um, before, we're in the green room just before the show we set up the headphones. Um, mm. I had them put on me, connected to the Bluetooth on Kyle's phone and he set them up so that they did a little analysis of my what my hearing's like and it created a profile mm. which will then personalise the way the music sounds to me. So what, what happened with that? Um, what was the uh, headset doing with Joe's ears? So what the Neurophone does is it actually sends a range of tones into uh, your ear and then it uses a microphone to pick up the ear's response. So it's uh, a little known fact that our ears actually create sound in response to the sound that we listen to. It's very small, and so you need a very sensitive microphone to detect it. So what the Neurophone did is it picked up that sound and it came up with what we call a hearing profile. Mm. And the hearing profile tells us how to optimise the equalisation of the music that uh, the person is listening to. Yeah, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Is it literally a mirror of kind of what is being sent to the brain? So this is this is what I'm hearing in this ear right now? Or? Yeah, it's sort of about, uh, you know, an amplifier is adjusted for the speaker it's connected to, mm. a speaker is adjusted for the room that it's connected to. Mm. Um, likewise, the uh, headphones that we wear um, at the moment, they're not actually adjusted for our inner ear, for mm. the way that we hear. Yep. And so the Neurophone adjusts for our hearing system mm. so that we can get more music information into the brain. Mm. Joe, you're gonna listen to some music. What are you gonna? Yeah, to? so I'm I'm gonna play um, "Bankhead" by Kalela, which is a song that I listen to an awful lot. Um, I haven't heard any music uh, with my profile yet, so mm. we saved it, it. Yeah, so I'm just gonna take these headphones off and put the other headphones on, and okay. um, I'll hit play on the song a bit earlier than the, the song's going on. So feel free to keep talking, Warren. Mm. Distract us. 
were you guys kind of frustrated with your own kind of experience of headphones? Was that a, a contributor to making these? Or? Yeah. I mean, I think when people start companies, sometimes it's about solving an immediate problem. Um, in the case of the Neurophone, it was more like an idealistic dream that uh, we could create the perfect headphones. What we wanted to do is to make a product that um, could deliver more of the music experience, more of the hard work that the musicians and the sound engineers, the producers put into making that music. So I just put the headphones on and they <laughs> knew my ears and said, welcome back, Joe. Yeah, I hope that wasn't too creepy. <laughs> it was pretty great. Okay. So I can't actually hear anyone right now. Um, I'm just talking into the void um, and waiting for the song to start. All right, I'll just cue that up. So are you going to play the song um, without the profile on first so I can hear the difference? That's right. So I'll start off in just a, just a standard mode and then allow you to... I'm just doing that now. Cool. Yep, I'm, I'm listening to it right now. So there is a little app here that Joe's driving with. She's kind of making little squealy kind of faces. <laughs> I think here. my face just did a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds really, really different. Yeah. It sounds a lot clearer and the the various parts of the song sound way more distinct. So he's just put me through to a screen that says hear and feel music and um, it says neurophones use the outer ear drivers to create the immersive feeling of a live performance so I can adjust how much immersion I prefer below. So I'm just going to drag the slider and maybe my face will do a thing again that's not really conveyed that well over radio, but here I go. So I'm sliding it from normal to front row. So here I am walking through the crowd. And it sounds like I'm standing right in front of the subs. So for this song, I kind of prefer the normal profile because the bass on this is pretty intense. Um, there's an, The slider goes the other way to gentle, so I'm just sliding it back there. And that sounds like I've gone to the bathroom at the club. <laughs> yeah. I'm handing it back. I'm going to take the headphones off. Mm. That was really, really cool. Awesome. Thank you. It was um, pretty good to hear one of my favourite songs that way. Yeah, it's pretty tricky over yeah. radio, so we did well. Yeah. <laughs> so was the um, was the, the basic idea sonic moulding? Is that what you guys have called it? Yeah, that's right. So um, sonic moulding is the idea that you can uh, automatically learn uh, the way that someone hears mm. um, sonically and then adapt the electronics. So typically, if you uh, wanted to do a hearing test, you would ask someone... Do you hear this? Do you hear that? Mm -hmm. But our technology does all of that automatically in about 60 seconds. Yeah, right. And this idea, <coughs> excuse me, this idea of uh, electronics um, adapting to our body in that way is very new, not just in the sound space. And uh, I guess there's kind of a few kind of like cool specs about it. You've got kind of dual layer sound isolation. How does, can you explain that? Yeah, so the in-ear and over-ear architecture actually provides really good passive isolation. Yep. So you don't hear sound around you. 
Yeah, right. But it also prevents people from listening to the music that you're listening to, so it doesn't leak very right. much, uh, which can, you know, be a good thing. Mm. Um, and I suppose just one of the other things that's worth talking about is the um, uh, the Kickstarter campaign. Um, did you get many comments? I mean, obviously, kind of raising money and stuff is great. It's always interesting to hear what people have to say or what they're looking for or what they want. Did you guys get any ideas out of that? Or were people kind of like, I've been looking for this for like 20 years or...? No, I mean, when we um, launched the product on Kickstarter in mid-2016, mm. it was a very, very new concept of mm. personalising sound, mm. but also the way that we were doing it was quite new. Mm. So I think people were just intrigued and we got a lot of early adopters interested in uh, buying the product. Mm. Um, but the sort of things that the uh, backers were able to help us with were, um, you know, details around how to connect to the product. So mm. we actually started off doing lightning connectivity uh, mm. to Apple products mm -hmm. and with the assistance of and these you know suggestions of our back community mm. we introduced universal connect uh, connectivity so we it supports analog digital and wireless wow so um, cool yeah so what's what's kind of like the next uh, few months for you guys what what uh, what have you got planned uh, well, we've just wrapped up an international um, launch tour where mm -hmm. we were able to show this to thousands of people around the world mm -hmm. um, and very much get the reaction that we got from Joe, which has mm -hmm. been really good for the team to see at the end of um, the manufacturing process. Mm. Um, for us, we're just at the beginning. This is our very first product. Mm. Um, so we're going to continue to refine the software in the headphones to improve mm. its performance, mm -hmm. um, but also look forward to uh, new technologies based around personalization of sound. Mm. I would like someone to develop an ice cream that moulds to my mouth and avoids the, the filling that I need in this molar at the moment. Great. Um, that would be amazing. Well, um, we'll add that to the suggestion box. That'd be great. Um, Carl, thanks for coming in. And it uh, looks like a great piece of gear. Um, I'm, I'm hopefully get one in my Christmas stocking. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you like making heaps of stuff and you're always worried about where to put it, um, it's a constant challenge for people these days. Um, so we've gone out to find someone who is confronting this challenge um, in a rather epic way. Um, you may know uh, Australian producer, musician and photographer uh, Taku um, and he is part of a creative collaboration with Dropbox that is touring around a little bit and it hits Melbourne um, I think later this week and we've got him on the phone now. Uh, Taku, thanks for joining us. Hey man, how you doing? We're doing really well, how are you? Yeah, good thanks. Um, and a triple R by the way. <laughs> oh, nice one, nice one. Yeah. Um, so you, you make a lot of stuff, is that fair to say? I try to, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think this project is um, sort of 823 is kind of the idea of, um, I, I guess, experiencing the city and, and getting people involved to, to sort of collaborate around their city. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's definitely trying to just collaborate with, you know, young creatives or doesn't have to be young, you know, creatives in general that are from the cities that we visit and try and touch base with them and see what they're up to. Mm. So you, uh, I think it started in uh, Tokyo, is that right, uh, recently? Yeah, it start, actually started in Perth and then we right. took it to Sydney and then Tokyo and then Melbourne's up next uh, tomorrow night. We need to start. Super. Um, and is this, like, have you always done this as a, as a traveller? Do you always kind of try and engage with the locals and do something or...? Yeah, I think, um, you know, ever since I started travelling quite frequently, you know, four or five years ago, connecting with you know local creatives especially musicians at the time um, and then kind of opening into more uh visual artists uh, as the years go by it's something i'd always try and do mm. on a small scale on a more private scale but 
you know, ever since working with Dropbox, they've been really great in helping us kind of put it onto a, a more public and uh, open forum kind mm. of uh, format, which has been great. Just makes it, I guess, easier to share with people and look at what other people are doing and stuff like that. Yeah, and helping other people, you know, come to a spot and connect with other people that they didn't maybe not know that, you know, other creators from their own city existed. And I feel like when we went to Tokyo, there was a lot of uh, expats who lived and worked in Tokyo and didn't really know many other creators. But when they came through to the weekend, they met a lot of people. And, you know, starting those connections is always really nice. Mm. What, what's one of the first things that you try and look for in a city or when you get there? What are you most interested to find out, do you think? Well, I think Melbourne, like Melbourne is probably the cultural hub of, of Australia, in my opinion. And Melbourne and Sydney, yeah, they're always at war with each other and Perth kind of never <laughs> part of that discussion. But I think Melbourne's definitely got such a rich, you know, city of, of young, raw talent. And I think that's one of the things we try and we try and look for. But again, that doesn't transcend to all cities like Tokyo. Obviously, it's Tokyo is a massive city full of amazing creators. But, you know, the actual kind of collaborating or meeting together wasn't, isn't too apparent there. Everyone kind of keeps themselves. So each city is unique, I think, when we go out. But I think Melbourne kind of speaks for itself in regards to how creative and what a nice hub of, you know, arts hub it, it is. Mm. Do, you, do you think um, being from Perth, you, you get a real curiosity about cities and how people collaborate? I mean, it's a pretty isolated, I think it's the most isolated capital in the world. From, from, yeah, from they, they say that, and I, I agree with them. Like, it's obviously not, it's not the smallest city in the world, but it definitely mm. is the most isolated with the, regards to how it's situated itself, um, especially mm. in the arts. But I think, you know, that's definitely part of it. You know, being born and bred in Perth kind of made me wonder, you know, what else is going out in the world in these cities that are, you know, hotspots, more or less, and kind of exploring why that is so and mm. and seeing if I could tap into that selfishly <laughs> <laughs> so this project's kind of been going for a, 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 I guess a couple of years now is there is, mm. there is there something when you get to a new city that I mean to be selfish like what are you hoping to get out of it like what, what's exciting for you about um, 823 I mean for me man like every single one that we've done and we've you know this is the fourth one and we're looking to go to you know Singapore and, and Seoul next year but it's just been so like uh um, amazing seeing mostly young people come out and and hearing their story and hearing you know the things they want to achieve and and people that are actually you know just left high school not sure what to do or people that have just left a full-time job um, and wanting to pursue a, a creative you know uh, career full-time and it's it's really great meeting so many people like that and kind of hearing their perspectives and and trying to show them that there is you know a way that they can live a creative career full-time um, and showing them that it is possible. Um, and I think networking and collaborating with fellow people kind of shows them and kind of inspires them to do that. I think it was one of the first kind of ways that I started meeting people online was um, Flickr. Um, like, you know, in yeah. a big way was like, because I was into like rock climbing in a big way at the time and all of a sudden through sharing photo folders, it was like, oh, where can I find that person? And then we connected on forums and, and off we went. So like seemingly there's not a lot of space for rich collaboration with like files and like folders and stuff, mm. but it, it really can be um, when you're passionate about it. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the whole kind of ethos we're trying to take from this Dropbox thing. As, as corny as it may sound, like taking the you know online file sharing to in real life collaboration. That's exactly what we're trying to do, 
And I feel like that's why Dropbox has been such a wonderful like partner in doing this all with because, you know, I'm the same as you, bro. I, I would pretty much live online when I was making beats and, and sending beat tapes, you know, zip files through Dropbox or, you know, sharing folders with blogs and, and whatnot. And that was how you kind of connected with people, especially being from Perth, you know. Mm. Um, and to kind of take it now into a more in real life face-to-face format is really refreshing. There is actually a master archivist here in the studio with us, um, Jo. <laughs> I, re- I reckon whenever we talk about something, she's got a photo in front of my face within about 10 seconds and it could be from I'm like five right. years old or 10 years old. Look, I am just really good at putting things in the right folder. <laughs> and labeling I mean, I them. Feel like, yeah, I feel like that's what I'm good at too. Um, I would like to see your desktop one day. Metadata. <laughs> that seems like a very kind of 2017 thing to, 2017 thing to yeah, say. Let me, Show me let your me desktop. Let me see your desktop real quick. <laughs> oh, no, don't look at my desktop. It's so messy. Mine's really <laughs> but, neat. you know, one, like, one's files. <laughs> yeah. I like to have the, make sure there's nothing on my desktop. Desktop, um, um, desktop, desktop zero. zero. <laughs> I've got a lot to hide. (laughs) Um, So uh, in terms of if people can get along um, in Melbourne this week, um, what are they going to see? What are you going to share with them and what are you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few elements. You know, there's opening night tomorrow night and it features myself, um, uh, Jack Vanzu, which is, you know, Thruppens, which I'm sure you guys uh, know of. He's an amazing um, artist and also a musician from Melbourne. Um, and we have Joe Kay, who's the founder of Selection, um, coming out as well to do like a panel discussion, which has, you know, <clears throat> 50 to 100 people that RSVP'd and we're kind of narrowing it down to a handful. Um, <clears throat> but these kind of things, is, you know, uh, the various workshops that people can get involved with. So there's so much going on this weekend, <clears throat> which is a bit overwhelming for myself, but I'm looking forward to it um, and meeting everyone and, and definitely finding more about, you know, Joe Kay and, and, and Thruppens and what, you know, makes them do the things that they do and what makes them so good at what they do as well. So even for myself, I'm keen to kind of pick their brain and, and see what's up. Have you had to, um, like, put together workarounds and, like, what's what's been your storage for, like, uh, music and, and photography going back? What, what have you used in the past? I'd be really interested to know. Man, email, like, for me, I used to, my hotmail was, like, all I used when I was like making music back in 2008 mm. and I used to send you know I used to send so much music to to blogs and back then because I was kind of fresh to it I didn't BCC I used to just kind of carbon copy everyone <coughs> and right. share everyone's emails with each other which people hate uh. um, but I would do that every release I would send down like I know I got this old hotmail contact list of about 1500 people from blogs to to A&Rs, to label reps that I found out their emails and, um, you know, LinkedIn. <laughs> but I used to hustle a lot when I made music because I just wanted to put my music out there because I didn't know if there was any other way um, from Perth. Uh, and then I went from, from email to Dropbox um, way back in 2010, I think it was. Um, and I've been using it ever since, you know, and ever since I started making, uh, taking photos um, not too long ago. It's just been how I send, you know, photos or proposals to clients and it's my life now. 
Well, it looks like an a awesome project and uh, I think um, heaps of people in Melbourne will be interested to, to get down there and have a look and, um, yeah, maybe document, document it online as well. I mean, even if they want to just collaborate remote, remotely and have a look at what you've been doing, um, have a poke around in your files. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please awesome. do. Uh, you may remember we um, did vote on, actually, we have been voting a lot as a country recently. Um, but one of the things that we did um, have to indicate a preference on was the marriage equality plebiscite um, last month. Um, one of the stories that came out of that, uh, a bit of a, a tech side story, was uh, an SMS that was controversially uh, sent um, in the lead up to the vote um, with, uh, I guess, a message to um, support it and um, to, to vote yes. Um, the text message went out on the 23rd of September and it did read, the marriage equality survey forms have arrived. Uh, help make history and vote yes for a fairer Australia uh, with a link out to um, the yes um, campaign. Um, did you get the text message, Joe? Do you remember? I did get anything? the text message. Mm. And um, I remember feeling a little poorly targeted because I'm not an Australian citizen, so I couldn't, mm. um, couldn't vote in the survey. So apparently around uh, around 10 million did go out. So there would have been um, a few that sort of ended up in the wrong phone um, by mistake. But uh, I think um, the the story behind it was that uh, broadcasts like this um, are infrequent and um, pretty controversial when they go out. So we had a, a bit of a chat um, with some of the people uh, involved. Um, so the company was actually SMS Broadcast, um, which a lot of people might be familiar with. They've been sort of helping commercial operations for, for years. Um, the news article behind this is interesting. Um, one of the founders behind it uh, is actually um, set to be married, but his brother-in-law um, uh, has had a, a long-term partner that um, he can't marry. Uh, so he decided to, um, uh, I guess, play hand in it. They didn't see it um, so much as a, a political thing, as in something that we just need to get done, um, which is their point of view, which is great. Um, and obviously there's alternative points of view um, on that. Um, but I think the interesting thing is um, how they actually got around to doing it. Um, so I guess we can talk a little bit about the um, how they did it and the ethics of it. Maybe first up the ethics. Um, it's a bit of a question for government and policy. Um, with the next um, few elections, we could actually be seeing a lot of SMSs going out. So broadcast SMSs are um, uh, permitted under ACMA legislation. Um, so it's pretty much the only time you're allowed to do it under current legislation right now. Um, so I don't know if Richmond wins the premiership, for example, which they did last year. Um, <laughs> we can't exactly send out. Guess uh, who's the Tigers fan? Uh, uh, it's just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> um, but during political, um, uh, on political occasions, we can actually do this. So um, it was allowed. Um, uh, the um, people supporting the campaign it was actually donated to the to the um, Yes campaign. Um, they um, so they, they donated their services. Yeah, they donated oh, their services. So um, that's so nice. Uh, the campaign behind it um, authored it, um, approved it, were, were happy with it. It wasn't kind of like one of those um, hack things that happened on the weekend where somebody got in and, and took over. Um, it was all sort of very carefully put together. Uh, and in accordance with with sort of relevant legislation, um, they did okay. 
Um, the interesting thing is how they did okay. So they didn't buy a list, which was one of the criticisms about it. How did you get my phone number? Um, it wasn't sold by anyone. Um, they actually have an interesting um, piece of tech where they um, randomly generate numbers, guess them, and then they can actually find out if those numbers are active uh, within a particular market. So, um, so for example, your number they guessed and they um, did see that it was active, so they sent it to you, but they didn't actually know anything more than that. How do they check if they're active? We can't tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't tell us that. So that's that's the, the clever thing that they do back there. But um, yeah, so they're based on the number ranges that we have with Australian phone numbers. There are um, 100 million possible mobile numbers in Australia. Um, so all of the sort of 04 numbers. Um, only about 60 million of those are allocated to telcos um, who offer voice services. And the number ranges for these are public, even on Wikipedia. Um, so they've already sort of cut out 40 million of the numbers. You can right. just kind of find them. Um, and there are about 30 million active voice services connected at any time. So they sent it out to kind of a third of those, hoping that they would hit um, a lot of people, um, which I think they did, even, yeah. though, even, though the, even though you go on. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Uh, SMS broadcasters pro- probably um, likely to be part of political campaigns going forward and elections and so forth. So if you see it on your TV and if you read it in your newspaper, you're probably going to get a text message about it as well, which is interesting. Um, we do have some uh, weird news um, that's going around. Um, do, you, um, do you buy stuff online? Are you interested in Amazon sort of entering Australia and are you watching that at all? Um, as as someone who works in retail, it con- it is concerning, and especially yeah. for small independent businesses. Absolutely. Um, so it's been off to a slow start, I think it's fair to say. But um, I think thinking ahead uh, a few years to the, the drone delivery stuff, um, reassuring um, places like CASA and um, aviation authorities about how everything works, there's a lot to do there and a lot of kind of legislation to wade through and, and regulation and so forth. So Amazon have come up with an interesting idea where they're just going to explode their drones midair, um, and the drone's going to decide itself that it's time to go. Is is this in case of emergency? Uh, in case of emergency, or to retire them as well. Sounds quite wasteful. It does a little bit. Um, maybe they should just like drop into a recycling depot or something. Yeah. Or fly into like one of those little recycling bins. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we should put it back to back to them that whatever solution that they've found for elsewhere. Um, I mean, it is spectacular and there's a certain kind of um, elegance to it, but... <laughs> How are they going to self-destruct? Uh, not really not really clear on that, but um, I think it's when they're starting to do the wrong thing or they're, they need to be retired or what have you. Um, yeah, so I think that's weird. Could, Definitely weird. Could lead to a lot of kind of like UFO stories and stuff like that. It's kind of fun. But... Um, in the other weird pile, um, we were talking about uh, cryptocurrencies recently and um, Ethereum. Um, if you are following the rise of Bitcoin and some of the other cryptocurrencies, uh, you'll be pleased to know that people have spent uh, already uh, over a million dollars uh, buying virtual cats on the Ethereum uh, blockchain, which is, I think, the second most popular uh, of the cryptocurrencies. Uh, it was launched uh, recently. CryptoKitties is essentially like a digital version of Pokemon cards, but based on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, so it's going nuts. Um, it was built by uh, a team from Vancouver and San Francisco uh, called uh, Axiom Zen. Um, would you like a Would you like a virtual kitty? Do you think? I've got a real one. She's enough. You do have a real one. That's true. But um, I don't know. Maybe if you get some Ethereum for Christmas, you can spend <laughs> it on the virtual ki- virtual kitties. Maybe I'll finally work out what how cryptocurrency works. Yeah, well, you could learn it from the virtual kitty. Yeah. Mm. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the show tonight. Uh, you've been listening to Bite Into It. Uh, we've got one more show to come after this, uh, which we're very excited about. Um, thank you to Kyle and thank you to Taku uh, for joining our show tonight. Joe, thanks for coming in and having a chat. I had a great time. Um, we'll be back next week. And uh, coming up next is Anthony Carew, International Pop Underground. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.